0: This message is a presentation of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information about the ministry of Vortex Church, please visit us online at vortexchurch.com. Today we're starting a brand new series called Friends with Benefits. and For the next four weeks, we're going to look at what the Bible says are the benefits of having a relationship with God. Uh, We've got a lot of work to do today, so I'm just going to go ahead and uh, both feet jump into it. Let's go ahead and look at John 15, 15. Right in the middle of the Gospel of John, uh, really in what may be one of the most significant chapters in all the Bible, we find this statement that was made by Jesus. Jesus is talking to his disciples in this moment, and he is sharing with them um, kind of, Right before the end, this is right before all of the uh, drama of his imprisonment and execution is about to begin, Jesus says this to his disciples. I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. I think that may be the grandest invitation ever issued in all of human history. That the God who has created and fashioned the world that we live in, has invited you and me to experience a relationship with him that he defines as a friendship. You know, friendship has its benefits, doesn't it? We know that. That's why when we're about to move, we call all of our friends, (laughs) right? Because they have to come and help us when we move. A few months ago, um, uh, my family moved into the first home that we were ever able to purchase since the uh, uh, the church started. Uh, uh, an organization had sponsored us and given us a small house to live in uh, when we started. And uh, by God's grace, you know, Vortex has, has grown and, and has become able to financially you know support us. And so we bought a house. And when that happened, um, friends showed up to help move boxes, right? Now, some friends got busy, you know. And normally, they're available for, like, hot dogs and stuff like that. But, but when it was time to move stuff, they, did, they, were, they were very busy those weekends. You know, I don't... You, but, but you know, I mean, friendship has its benefits. And in Psalm 103, the writer David, who, who we've, we've looked at, King David, is, is writing. And he actually lists out for himself... In a very small passage that we're going to really zero in and focus on over the next four weeks, he lists out the benefits of a relationship with God. Now, benefits are not super unspiritual. All right? Don't, don't get that. In. Benefits are important. How many of you at your job have ever had this conversation with someone? They, you mean, our employer does this? I, I didn't even know that benefit existed. I didn't know that they would match funds for retirement. I didn't know that they would pay for us to send our kids to counseling. I didn't know that there was a, a preferred uh, matching funds, health savings account. I didn't, I didn't know that these benefits existed. Because, see, the problem is if you don't understand a benefit, you can never fully access it. If you don't understand, if you don't know it's there, if you don't understand it, you will never be able to fully utilize the benefit that is available to you. And think about this with me. This is important because many of us are, are, are in families and have relationships. When you interview for a job, you are often very concerned about the working conditions. You want to know what's my job going to be like, who am I going to work, what the hour is going to be. But do you realize that your benefits? affect your family, paid time off, insurance. Those are not just for you, are they? That benefit's there for your family. In the same way, the benefits that God has leveraged towards us in a relationship with him are not just for us. They actually spill over into the relationships that we share with people that we love. And the truth is, if we're not fully accessing the benefits that God has worked so hard to give us, we're going to struggle in those relationships. So let's go ahead and look at this passage of Scripture. Psalm 103, verses 2 through 5. I'm going to read it, and then we're going to go back through it. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And that's where we get that word, benefits. He forgives all. All my sins and heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. David, as he begins this passage of Scripture, is really talking to himself. I know none of you do that at all. You never talk to yourself, right? Not when you're alone in the car. Not when somebody has just made you so mad and you take a few steps away and get by yourself. I know you probably never talk to yourself. But that's what David's doing in this passage of scripture. He says to his soul. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. And soul, do not forget his benefits. You see, for a Hebrew, the soul would represent the, really the root of life, that place that emotions and volition and will comes out of. And David is saying, soul, it's important that you remember these benefits. It's important that we focus on them, that we att- give our hearts attention to them, And the first one that he lists out, is he forgives all my sins. Now many of us, at some point or another, have raised the hand, walked the aisle, bowed the knee to a message of Jesus that has to do with forgiving our sins. But as I was studying this week and preparing, I just really felt like we need it in many ways to be reminded of that, but not just reminded, not just the simplicity of a reminder, but to understand the depth to which God forgives. And so we're going to take this time today and to go through the benefit of God's forgiveness. And the first thing that I would tell you about God's forgiveness today, this is in your notes, is that Jesus removes our transgressions. Jesus removes our transgressions. Let's go ahead and jump a little bit further down in Psalm 103. In Psalm 103 beginning in verse 10, the writer David says this, He does not treat us as our sins deserve. How many of you are excited about that verse in the Bible? I'm excited about that. I am so glad God does not treat me like my sin deserves to be treated. Do you know why? Because you know how sin deserves to be treated? The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But God, you haven't. Treated us like our sins deserve, notice the word sin, or repay us according to our inequities. All right, now, David is starting to paint a picture for us of what sin looks like. He started, now he's used multiple words, sins, inequities, and for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. And here's that verse that many of you quote often, but you don't know where it is in the Bible. Now you know where it is, all right? For as far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. Verses 10 through 13, Psalm 103. In that verse, David uses three different words to talk about sin. He opens it by using an umbrella term, sin. And then he uses the term iniquities and then transgressions. And actually, the, this point is taken that I gave you that he removes our transgression is taken directly from verse 13 where the Bible says that he has removed our transgressions from us and separated us from them as far as the east is from the west. See, the thing is, is that when we read that verse, most of us, think of us think about east and west like if all of a sudden I took two of you and gave you my sins and said, run away from me. Well, we think about being on earth. Well, they would start running, but eventually they would start running around and then they would get close to each other again. But see, God is not speaking as someone who lives on a sphere. He's actually bringing in some middle school geometry for us, okay? Do you remember in middle school geometry where they would throw out that line and then they would put arrows on the end of it? And what did that mean? It went on for infinity in opposite direction. And God says that if you took that line, infinity this way, infinity this way, and you put your sin over there and you over there, that's how far I have removed your sin from you. And in this verse, David says that it's our transgressions that have been removed. I think it just bears some explanation. The word sin literally means to miss the mark. There's a mark that God has for our lives, a a design that God has for our lives, and sin is missing that mark. As a matter of fact, the Greek term that's used in the New Testament to describe sin is actually an archery term that is used for having missed the mark. And then David uses this, transgressions. The word transgress, in the original context, it means to trespass. So there's a boundary that is in place, and I have walked over that boundary. For many of us, we're familiar with that because we have the don't trespass on my property, or I will shoot your head off signs posted all the way around. Or we have, you know, relatives that have posted those. And we we understand trespass. That's a transgression. But David uses another word. He uses the term iniquity. Literally translated, the word iniquity means to be unequal. To not be equal. And, And in reference to our sin, it means anything that is inside of us that is not equal to God. You see, a trespass is an outward sin. It's something that we've done, but in inequity is something that is going on inside of us. To kind of explain that for you, you see, a transgression is the the hand. The iniquity is the heart. To kind of further explain it, uh, uh, an iniquity would be our attitude, the transgression would be the action. You see, Jesus, when he showed up. This might sound like a a small detail for some of you, but in Jesus's ministry, Jesus confronted a group of religious leaders called the Pharisees. Let me just, on a side note, you don't ever want to be in a category where you get compared with the Pharisees. I mean, it's just a bad place to be in the Bible, and there are many of us that are in here today that could be in this. Because in Jesus's day, He dealt with something that the Pharisees had begun to allow to become a part of the way that they thought about sin. And in Matthew 5, as Jesus begins his discourse in the Sermon on the Mount, he confronts two different issues. Where the Pharisees had created a system where if you didn't do it on the outside, it was okay with whatever was happening on the inside. So Jesus in Matthew 5 says, you've heard it said that it's permissible to divorce a woman if she has uh, had adulterous and adulterous affair. But I, but I say to you, I, I say to you that if any man has looked on a woman and lusted after her, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Do you see what Jesus is doing? He's saying it's not just the transgression that is the sin. It's the iniquity that is within us that leads us to transgress that is also sin. He goes on to say, well, you've heard it said, don't commit murder. But I tell you that if any of you harbor hate for your enemies, you're murdering them in your hearts. see, Transgression is the action, but the iniquity is what is happening on the inside. How many of y'all know the Bible's perfect? Perfect. It's a a perfect record from the hand of God to us to describe his love and passion for us, but to also give us direction in his plan for our lives. In the great messianic chapter Isaiah 53, I'd love to show you how perfect the Bible is as it describes the sacrifice of Jesus for our sins so that we could be forgiven. The Bible says this in Isaiah 53, 5, he was forgiven. Wounded for our transgressions. Others would say he was pierced for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. He was wounded on the outside for what we have done on the outside. But a bruise is an internal injury. He was bruised for our iniquities. So that by his grace and mercy, God could take our transgressions and separate them from us just like the east is separated from the west. And some of us just cannot get that figured out when it comes to our relationship with God. We think that God has a big old filing cabinet up in heaven. And every time we go to God and we pray and we ask for forgiveness, God goes over to his filing cabinet and goes, well, well, here's here's that drawer. Yes, here's your drawer. Let me get this out. Right, he starts flipping through your sins. And oh, here's that sin. Yes, yes, yes. This is the, the sin that you are repenting for today. I, I see when this started back in 2002. Uh, it was that year you asked for forgiveness six times. You really didn't know how much you were doing it, but you asked for forgiveness six times. And then the next year it was eight, a little bit more. Do you remember 2010 2010, that was a big year. You were fighting with your spouse. It's 247 times that year that you asked for forgiveness. But yes, I'll forgive you. And then he writes it on his card and puts it back. That's not at all, not at all how forgiveness works with, with God. The Bible tells us that when it comes to your identity, when God forgives you, he separates you from that transgression. That he does not see you in light of that transgression. And for many of us, that is a benefit that we need to embrace because all we have ever done is identified ourselves with our failure. But God doesn't do that for you. The second benefit that I want to point out is that Jesus remembers our sins no more. Jesus remembers our sins no more. Isn't that good to know? Isaiah 43, 25 says this. I, yes, I alone, will blot out your sins for my own sake and will, that word will being a choice that he is making, and will never think of them again. Hebrews eight twelve says this. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. You see, some of us have gotten this pretty jacked up when it comes to the way that we think about God. Because I want to tell you something. God cannot forget your sins. He can't. When we talk about the nature and attributes of God, we describe God as an omniscient God, right? He knows everything. God knows he, knows, he knows backwards, forwards. He is outside of time from the beginning to the end. He is the Alpha and Omega. He is the omniscient one. See, if he forgot our sins, and this is kind of a joke for some of you, if he forgot all your sins, he'd be forgetting about half your life. <laughs> I mean, for some of you, it might be 75%. He doesn't forget. And in counseling, time and time again, I've heard people who are struggling with forgiveness say this, I can't be like God. I can't forget what happened. Well, God doesn't forget. God chooses not to remember. The Bible never says that God will forget. The Bible does clearly teach us that God chooses not to remember. And God chooses not to remember your sins. You know, I think that maybe the best illustration of this comes from an idea that I have. This is, there's no way that you can verify this scientifically or in the Bible at all. Okay, so <laughs> let me just go ahead and give that disclaimer. But I, I, I think that you find the, the ability that God has to for to choose not to remember our sins. Really, you can see it at play in the nature of men and women. Because how many of you know that men have the capacity not to remember? Wives, if you don't believe that, just when you get out and you're on the way home today, ask your husband, hey, what did we do yesterday? And just watch him struggle at trying to remember everything you did. I, I, I think Maybe at night when men go to sleep, they lose their memories. I just think that might be what happened. I mean, here's a, here's a great example of this. Um, you, how many of you have recognized this, that when you fight with your spouse, men, the, your, your wives will be able to remember everything about that argument. They will remember what shirt you were wearing, what color your socks were, the words that you said, where your hands were when you said them, right? Right? They remember everything about the arguments that we have. As a matter of fact, a, a year ago, um, my, my wife turned 30, and she was very pregnant in, in July when her birthday is. And as her birthday crept up, I, I, um, I missed the signs that she gave. Um, that indicated that she would like to have a birthday party, I did I missed those i didn't didn 't read those road signs that were apparently very big um, and And when her thirtieth birthday came and we had birthday cake and we had presents and a card and all the stuff that you do on birthdays, and it passed no birthday party. every major event that came up after that, I was reminded. <laughs> Hey, you remember my 30th birthday? Do you remember your 30th birthday, Kevin? Do you remember how I invited all your friends from out of town, and they all drove in, and we went, I surprised you, and we went out on it. And just never able. So when her 31st birthday came up this past July, I had a huge surprise party for her, and she cried. And while I was holding her, while she cried, I whispered in her, never bring up your 30th birthday again. (laughs) As a matter of fact, do you, do you realize that I think the, the nature of femininity and masculinity all are born out of the nature of God, really? Uh, God is not the man upstairs. Actually, to describe him as a man is inadequate. Uh, the elements of femininity and masculinity were all derived out of the nature of God, and this is kind of a joke. Um, but God's omniscience, the capacity that he has to know everything, to women. <laughs> all right? All right. The capacity that God has to choose to forget to amen. God chooses to forget our sins. He chooses to forget our sins. The third benefit that I would share with you today is that Jesus releases us from our iniquities. Jesus releases us from our iniquities. In Hebrew, the word that's described and often translated for us to be forgiven is a term that actually meant to be released from a debt. So if you had a million dollar loan and you walked into the bank on Monday morning to make your payment and the banker looked at you and said, but this has already been paid off. This loan has been forgiven. You see, many of us have bought into a subconscious, maybe even it was presented to you that way, presentation of the gospel that we have to earn the forgiveness of God. But Jesus releases us from all of our iniquities. He looks inside of us and all of the broken, bent stuff that exists in our hearts, God through his grace and mercy has given us the benefit of being released from. You want to know who will tell you that you can't be released from it? It's our enemy, Satan. And maybe even sometimes family and friends who will tell you something like this. You're just the guy that always gets angry. Your dad got angry and his Dad got angry, and you're just that guy. It's just a part of you. It's kind of inside you. And so you're always going to be that way. Or you're the chick that always gets dramatic when anything's going on. And that's okay. You know, we always just know to expect that with you because your mom was dramatic and her mom was dramatic. It might be even worse. Maybe you're the guy that hates commitment. And though you'd never say that, after three, four years with the same woman, you just start to get that itch. You see, the things that are broken inside of you are not you. And anything that's told you that that's just you that's just how it is for you. That's how it's going to be for you. Is a straight up lie. Because God, through Jesus, has released us from all of our iniquities. You might think about, Kevin, how can you, how can you tell me that? I mean, do you know how much I've struggled with this? Do you, do you understand how much effort that I've put into walking away from this, I would tell you that based on the authority of Jesus Himself. Jesus in John twenty twenty three said this: If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now, that's a verse that throughout the centuries it has been interpreted in some pretty weird ways. Up front, it was interpreted as maybe that was just for the apostles as they went out to spread the good news of Jesus, that that was a verse that was just for them. I think it's a pretty bad reading. I think that Scripture tells us inside of itself that it's for all of us, that all parts of it are for all of us. And so we believe that that part is for us. But in some places, that's been applied as a priesthood, that we would have to go and confess our sins to a priest and that he would tell us we were forgiven or we were not forgiven. I think that, again, is a misapplication of that scripture. You have to take in context as that moment. That moment happens right after Jesus is resurrected. He got 40 days with his disciples. And the main gist that he taught them is summed up at the end of the Gospel of Matthew when he said, go into all the world and proclaim this gospel." Go into all the world and proclaim this message of hope and reconciliation with the world. And if you tell them, if they believe in this, their sins can be forgiven. Their sins can be, you can be forgiven. But if you reject this message, you'll carry them on. Because God has paid for a way for us to release them. Let's go back to that beginning thought. John 15, 15, where the Bible says, Jesus speaking, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. You see, if we step back and look at what a servant and what a friend does, the actions are remarkably similar. Friends, friends, Come and help you move. Servants come and help you move. Friends will cook you dinner. Servants will cook you a dinner. Friends will come over and mow your yard. A servant will come over and mow your yard. But the difference is the motivation behind the action. Jesus looks at his followers and says, I no longer call you a servant. I call you a friend. And you want to know what the difference is? That a servant follows because they're obligated to, and if they don't follow, they're punished. But a friend a friend follows because they love. Because they love. And I'd like to reread maybe the most familiar verse in all the Bible in light of understanding that God has chosen a relationship with you because he loves you, that he forgives you not because he has to or because he's obligated to, but because he loves you. Look at what John 3.16, as our musicians come up this morning, says. For this is how God loved the world. He gave His one and only Son so that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. You see, God loved you so much that He knew there was sin in our lives and that sin would separate us from Him. There was no way for us to have a relationship with Him because of sin. And so God Himself took it on himself as our friend to do what we could never do for ourselves not because he had to but because he wanted to Jesus died so that you could be forgiven the weight of all of your sin sat on him at the cross Isaiah 53 tells us that he was pierced, his hands, his feet, his side, for the times that we stepped over the boundary. That he was bruised and beaten for the times that we've sinned in our hearts. He's already paid the price. And the sad thing is that so many of you are still paying a price that you don't have to because you have not enjoyed the benefit of forgiveness. See, God doesn't want you to carry your sin. He doesn't want you to be defined by your failure. He doesn't want that for you. He wants you to experience the release that he has already paid for from that sin. So today, we're going to do something a little different for us. We're going to do a song, and I want you to think about this question, what does this mean for me? What does this message mean to me? Not, don't ask this question, what does this mean for my spouse? Don't ask the question, what does this mean for my child or for my neighbor? Ask the question, what does it mean for you? Because maybe today you haven't experienced the forgiveness of God like you need to. Maybe today you're defining yourself by failure that existed In your life. Maybe today you need to realize that the way that you've been living on the inside doesn't have to continue. Maybe today you need to experience the great benefit of God's forgiveness. So let's stand to pray. We're going to worship together. And during that, I want you to ask that question, everybody in the room God, thank you that you forgive us, God. God, we ask you over the next few moments as we sing to you, God, that you would be strong in this place by your Holy Spirit, that you would challenge us. God, that you would remind us of the great sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross. And then by your grace and mercy, you would challenge us to take the next step that we need to. Whatever that is, God for your glory.